Welcome to the Aftershock podcast. We chat about cancer, the word you never want to hear. Watching your child um, do these things is something, well, it's something you never imagine and something you know nothing about until you have to deal with it, I guess. The Aftershock podcast speaks to a variety of people that have experienced the ripple effect of a cancer diagnosis. Join us as we explore stories of lost loved ones and speak to those who have lived experience with the disease. I'm Susie Neat. And I'm Kim Landy. And this is the Aftershock Podcast. This episode was recorded in December, so any references to this year are referring to the year that all of us are no doubt ready to forget. In this episode of the Aftershock Podcast, we speak to the amazing Michelle Hensel, mother of Brayden. Michelle shares how different it is to experience cancer in a rural community, which prompted her to work at the Aubrey Cancer Centre. Braden was only 19, so um, really he was just about to embark on a whole new stage of his life. Um, he just moved down to Melbourne and he'd only been down there six weeks, um, starting a, a new um, uni course and um, he'd made all new friends down there with uni. He'd um, back home, he was coming off um, a cricket premiership so everything was pretty exciting for him. It was all um, it was all ready, set, go. It was a whole new life uh, ready for him. He was doing the course that he wanted to. He was um, living on campus at uni and he instantly had 30 new friends and um, he was he's sport mad, Brayden. That was um, really his sole, his sole purpose in life, he felt, was to play sport and um, be sporty. So um, he was doing a sport management course down at La Trobe in Melbourne. So, um, you know, he thought he pretty much had his career path um, lined up for him. And I guess because he was sporty and um, he was telling us that he had a sore neck, so we were just like, oh, yeah, like pretty standard. And I was saying, you know, you've got a new bed, you're playing some new sport down there. There's, You know, there's lots of reasons why you could have a sore neck. And um, he was, it was that in-between time between cricket and um, footy. So he was, um, although he only just finished his cricket grand final, he was also doing footy training. So we said, just get someone to give your neck a rub. And I guess to um, cut a long story short, um, he um, had a really sore neck and was seeing a physio. And um, that physio very quickly realised that Braden had possibly a serious problem because he had some pins and needles. So I was up here in Aubrey and he was down there in Melbourne. Uh, he was getting some scans on a late, very late on a Friday afternoon when um, neurosurgeon that I did not know at that stage, the wonderful um, Mr Ian Wang, rang me and said, um, I really don't understand where you live and I don't understand how long it's going to take you but um, get in your car and drive to Melbourne because your son has a tumour wrapped around his spine. Um, that was pretty scary. What went uh, when, through your mind getting that phone call? Uh, well, a few hours before, it was just sort of like a lump. It was going to be a possible lump that needed draining. So, you know, I guess, I guess to go from that to a tumour in the space of like two or three hours was um, was pretty alarming. And uh, we just jumped in the car and and drove there. And I sort of t- – I actually don't have a lot of memories of um, – leaving my other children behind but like clearly I did do that um they were um they were like 15 and um nearly 18 they were old enough to look after themselves but um yeah we just drove in the middle of the night and um 
Braden had an emergency operation the next morning and um, it took quite a few days for them to come up with a diagnosis because it was quite a rare, very rare tumour and I worked in pathology at the time so as each day went past I knew it was becoming more and more unusual and more and more not routine and we're playing a guessing game that wasn't really a lot of fun. But when they come up with, um, unfortunately, a very rare tumour called Ewing sarcoma, and um, um, it was, you know, it was it was a scary thing. It was something that um, not everybody, not many people survive, and not many people have. And I guess that we were to, we could only possibly fight that if Braden was in Melbourne. So uh, him and I moved to Melbourne for twelve months and left the rest of the family behind. So um, it's about three, three and a half hours from Aubrey to Melbourne. So that obviously instantly, and I mean instantly, changed our lives socially, financially, emotionally, physically, everything, our life as we knew it, like instantly changed. Um, For Braden, the very first oncologist that we saw said that um, he had to give up sport and give up uni and um, Braden just, he just looked at me and he said, well, you know, who am I? What, who, what does that make me be? That makes me just be a sick kid. And I said, no, that's, that's not what we're going to do. So we actually um, changed um, and moved. Um, We were in a private, private hospital setting trying to just instantly get um, the operation done. But then we moved over to Peter Mac. Um, because I guess they had a more general view of adolescence um, fighting cancer. And that view is that you have to stay true to yourself. You have to be who you are. So Braden wanted to be a sports person and he wanted to go to uni. So I guess that was our number one priority, that he stayed true to himself, which he did the whole journey right until um, um, right to the end. And for our family to also try and be as normal as we could possibly be. So, you know, people said, you know, your kids are back at home and they're still playing sport and they're still doing their life. But the hard thing for a young person to have with cancer that they have to deal with is not only the effect of their life, but it's 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 your whole life. So Braden was well aware that his cancer diagnosis had affected everyone in the family. And so he wanted as much as possible for everybody to go about their normal life, which meant that the kids um, stayed home with my husband in Albury and him and I lived in Melbourne in an apartment um, trying to get him his treatment, which took the best part, the best part of a year. I'm wondering what treatment looked like for Brayden. Brayden's treatment was horrendous because it was um, – It was radiation and chemo simultaneously because um, this tumour was alarming. It started off at C3, C4 in his neck and um, even though it was cut out, there was obviously, because it was literally wrapped around his spine, it was a very delicate operation Um, and so it couldn't all, all the tumour couldn't be removed. So um, um, he sort of had to wait two weeks for his post-op to heal, and then we started noticing that his um, symptoms were coming back again. 
So ridiculously, in a matter of literally a matter of about two weeks, it grew from C1 to C6 in his neck. So this tumour was literally, it was just like lightning. It was incredibly aggressive. So the only thing they could do was start chemo and radiation simultaneously. So um, Braden was an, um, a lot of the time an inpatient at PMAC. So he would have chemo for 12 hours a day for five days in a row um, and then come out for two weeks and then he would do it all again. And at, also at the start he had radiation for 30 days straight. So it's incredibly aggressive and difficult treatment, but um, you just get through it. Um, we always said it was one day at a time because if you looked at the whole picture, it was almost insurmountable and almost impossible. So we literally would wait, he would wake up each day and I would say, right, this is what we're going to do today. These are the appointments we've got. This is the treatment that we've got. And we would go home and then we'd wake up the next day and we'd do it again. Um, yeah, so he had 14 cycles of that treatment and it's um it's pretty intense and then uh, then a miracle occurred i guess and he was um for a little while he was cancer free and so um because he had maintained his connections to his peers he was able to go back to uni and um it's not easy you can't click your fingers when treatment is finished and just go back to your normal life but he was able it was difficult but he was able to go back to uni and his somewhat normal life because he had maintained those connections so for a short time he was given a reprieve and able to enjoy life life again but um they had told us with a lot of certainty i guess that um in all likelihood the cancer would come back and so, yes, it did come back um, in the middle of some cricket finals. Um, and then we were told that um, he really did not have much chance of beating it, that he could continue. We tried a few more different uh, chemos and radiations and all sorts of things, but um, it's it's a really aggressive and horrible thing, you in sarcoma, and once it comes back, it always comes back in your lungs. So once it comes back in your lungs, it does make life very difficult. But Braden continued to play cricket. Um, it, it was very hard and he continued uni for a very long time. He unfortunately never finished uni. But, um, you know, I guess it was just a way of you staying in control of your life that he was able to continue his sport and continue his uni because you have to, you have, to have the successes that you can. So for him studying at uni and doing that sort of thing and still playing sport, you were um, you were still able to stay true to yourself and, and be who you wanted to be. So we were very, very grateful that um, he was able to do all that. He had he had a very unstable neck. Um, he actually essentially needed a neck fusion, but I guess his, his cancer was always the primary thing that we were worried about and it just kept getting put to the back. And then, you know, he he somehow maintained playing cricket. We still to this day don't know how he was doing it, but he was able to play cricket. And um, uh, he when he played cricket, his neck really didn't hurt, but most of the time he was in a lot of pain continuously with his neck. But he was able to just keep on um, keep on enjoying life because he, he just loved life and he loved his friends. He was a very loyal friend and um, his cricket mates, I guess, were – his whole life, and they gave him 
gave him that reason to keep on to keep on living for as long as he could. So we're very grateful to them, and they're still an important part of um, our lives. Yeah. Going back to his treatment, um, it was impossible for us to watch Mum go through radiation, and she didn't even go through chemo. Um, yeah. And I was a daughter. I think any person, especially parents listening to this, just probably is absolutely killing them inside thinking as a parent watching your child go through that volume of chemo. What was it like on for you watching Brayden go through that? Part of you like wants to stick out your arm and say, give it to me, give it to me. But, of course, that's ridiculous because um, – the chemo can't help you. They have to have the chemo, but um, watching them be so so physically sick, and I hated dragging him to those appointments, um, knowing what he had to go through. Like in the end, Peter Mac almost made him physically sick just to walk in. He couldn't eat the food. He couldn't drink the water. Um, he just it the had smells. that. Yep. Yeah, had that emotional and physical effect on him walking in the door. And so to continuously take him to those appointments time and time and time again, day after day after day, it's just such a difficult thing as a mother because this is what they have to do and they don't want to do it. Um, Not that he ever ever refused doing it, but um, it's just such a difficult thing to take them to something that's just so horrendous um and watching them physically change you know every every hair on their body he lost every hair on his body which is you know their eyebrows their eyelashes like he said mum you you just don't realize what how important eyelashes are um and just just to see him be be so weak um and and you know and look so different but um in, inside still be so strong he was always an incredibly strong and the thing about Peter Mac is that's just the most horrific place but there's always someone worse off than you and Brayden used to always he loved chatting to other people it was a way of getting through what he had to get through so he would always um, start up conversations with the people in radiation or the people on the ward and we'd go away and he'd say mum they're way, they're way worse than me they're way worse than me and I used to think, well, I don't think so. But, um, yeah, I guess I guess, as, as a parent, it, I think it's the hardest thing. The hardest thing is watching, watching, watching your child go through that and knowing that they, they have to have chemo and they have, to have, they have to have treatment and they have to have scans. And for his radiation, he was locked into a face cage and tight and tied to the bench because it had to be millimetre perfect. So he had a whole plastic mask that fitted onto the and trapped him there for for the whole time. But uh, he dealt with that. Watching your child um, do these things is something, well, it's something you never imagine and something you know nothing about um, until until you have to deal with it, I guess. You mentioned Ian Wang before, um, who was Brayden's neurosurgeon. Also, my mum's neurosurgeon, um, and that's obviously how how we know each other. And we um, we formed a very special bond with Ian. He he loved my mum, and um, I even saw him yesterday. He's still a part of our family's lives. Um, yep. How how important was that for you and Brayden having a neurosurgeon as 
lovely um, and as personable as Ian. Well, he was amazing because he was always in awe of Braden as well. So he loved he loved to see him. He loved to talk to him, and he just kept saying, "I'm not sure, Braden, if you'll be able to play cricket." And Braden would say, "I'll find a way. If you say I can play, I'll find a way." And he would say, "All right." But to be able to just get on with um, what he wanted to do, he he did have to wear a brace for a very long time, literally holding his head up. Um, but that enabled him to just get on with life, I guess. And um, he probably, of all the things that he had, he probably hated that wearing that neck brace because it was it was just such an obvious physical disability to people looking at him. Um, even, you know, he hated wearing it to uni. Um, and it just made people wonder, you know, what what's wrong with that boy? Because he just, he liked to go under the radar. So... Once he started looking a little bit better, and just because you have no hair or short hair, I guess, wasn't always, it's not a big telltale sign to everyone that you had cancer. He liked people not knowing that he, you know, if people didn't know he had cancer, he liked it that way. He didn't like, um, he didn't like people to give him sympathy or, you know, he didn't, I used to say, let's play the cancer card. And he'd go, you're not playing the cancer card, mum. <laughs> um, I, only pl- I only played it once on a tram. Uh, when we uh, when we lost his um, lost his Mikey card, but and then he said, "You're finally happy, Mum. You played the cancer card." <laughs> um, and I said, "Yeah, I am pretty happy." Um, but it wasn't something he he didn't wear it as a badge of honor. He 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 didn't like it. He just he craved normality, and that's what um, that's what uni and um, cricket gave him was normality. And I think that's the thing with a cancer diagnosis when. You know, all of a sudden, your your normal life is just gone. It's it's taken from you, and and some people some people want to be the victim and the sick person, and and some people, you know, that's okay. And other people just refuse to give in to cancer. Other people just want to remain strong and um and be who they are right to the end, which is which is what which is what Brayden got to be, and that's you know that's something that we're incredibly proud of that that he could do that. Was palliative care ever part of the conversation with Brayden? Yes, we we first hooked up with palliative care in Peter Mac and to tell you the truth, I wasn't very happy about it then. Um, <laughs> they would sort of come and talk to us in a room full of people where, where other patients were around us and I did not like that. There was a huge lack of privacy. Um, but later on we got to meet a wonderful phys- physician. She was amazing. And we connected with palliative care back home here. And that was wonderful. Um, palliative care here in, in Aubrey was, was really good. And they totally let us do it our way, which, which was a huge thing. Absolutely. Um, huge thing. Brain was 22, um, um, when he passed away and, um, he, he had made me promise quite some time before that he would not die in Peter Mac. He, he didn't ask anything of us, Brayden, but he said to me, promise me, Mum, that you will not let me die in Peter Mac. And I said, I promise. And hope to hell that I could fulfil that promise. And I guess every time I drove away from Melbourne back to Aubrey, I would secretly, inwardly cheer and say, he's not going to die in Peter Mac. Um, so we were at Peter Mac when they said you have – weeks to live, um, possibly months. 
Um, but he and he lived four weeks and three days after that, so that was a very accurate statement. Um, but um, we just said, thank you very much. You guys have been amazing, but see you later. We're going home and, and we'll be doing this um, our way. And they, they were wonderful. They checked in on us all the time. But um, the people back here in Aubrey let us do everything exactly the way we wanted, which feels for Braden to be at home, to spend as much time as possible with all his family and friends, to go out as much as possible. He would carry oxygen tanks with him. Um, and the last um, two or three days of his life, he got he got to have like 100 people through the home and he he was pain-free. He was totally he was totally with it up to couple of hours before he died and um it was everything that he had asked of us and it was everything that we I wanted to give him and it's something that I am enormously enormously proud of because it's not a lot of people have ideas of how they want to pass away but um you don't always get to pull it off um, and we pulled it off to the T and you know that was one of the last things Braden said to me was mum it happened exactly how we said it would um and he was so grateful for that and I guess I was so gra- grateful that we could give that to him and to you know they t- cancer takes so much control away from you but if you can have that control at the end of your life and to do it how you want to do it like that is it is such a privilege it well it was my it was my privilege as a mother, I guess, to give that to him. I know that priority number one and your family would have understood was with Brayden, but that doesn't make it easy leaving, um, moving to Melbourne, you're coming from Albury. Um, what was that like? Oh, that was incredibly hard. Um, Reese was 17 turning 18 and um, doing his HSC. Um, and that was a really difficult time for him. Um, you know, he would have liked to have had his brother there when he was turning 18 to um, show him the ropes and um, have a good time. Uh, and it was hard for him to focus on his HSC, I guess. And and Carla was just 15 when I left her behind and she she was my baby and my, and my only girl. And um, it was incredibly hard. My husband didn't have a choice. And it was hard for him, like, I actually, I actually had the easy job in that I was with Braden every minute of the day, except when he had to go to sleep. So I, I would obviously leave the hospital um, late at night and then go back to the hospital early in the morning. Um, but my husband had to stay at home, and um, he just had to go to work and, and be quite normal. The community that we live in made um, made meal rosters, and meals would turn up for him, which um, which was in which was incredible. But, um, you know, our whole life got flipped up and ripped inside out um, um, instantly. And we, was, and we were so far away. It wasn't like, you know, you, you, you could, the kids would come down for weekends or we would try and come home for weekends. But, you know, when, when Braden was actually sick, it was, it was pretty debilitating for him if we did have to bring him home. Um, you know, travelling in a car is not, is not easy. Um, when you're having chemo all the time, it's, it's quite difficult. But for them, yeah, for them to stay focused on their life um, was really hard. And then um, 
Carla continued through her studies and, um, and, and Braden passed away during her HSC year. So um, that was really difficult for her. And Reese was just finding his feet um, with, his, with his career path, um, which he's, he's finally worked out now. And um, he's, um, he's a greenkeeper in uh, Perth. And Carla's about to um, move to Newcastle to start her career as a doctor. So um, the kids... It was difficult for them. It, it could have been very easy for them to just to just give up, I guess. But um, you know, they had to they had to keep maintaining their their normal lives as well. So, and and that was probably one of the hardest things for Braden to bear when they did tell us that he was definitely could not beat this. Um, he just turned to me and said, "But Mum, what have what have I done to you? What have I done to you?" <laughs> Um, that was his first. That was his first thought, um, and his first thought was always us and and what it had done for us. But I know that he would be immensely, immensely proud of um, Reese and Carla now and how they've um, how they've kept their lives together and just um, moved on. You know, through this horrible experience, you never move on from it, but you get to move through it and you live with it, and it's something that, that you carry in your heart for the whole time. But, you know, separation was, was a huge, huge part of of what we had to go through, and I guess that's what drives me with my passion and my work here at the Cancer Hospital here because it's my goal that rural people should be able to stay in their rural communities to stay true to themselves. Obviously, when you need, with a rare cancer, Unfortunately, you need expertise, and that's what we—that's what we were searching for in Melbourne. Was just that absolutely best um, medical and clinical expertise, um, which we were lucky enough to find in Ian Wang and um, and at Peter Mac. But um, for me, you know, I hope now that people can stay in their rural communities, and people rural cancer sufferers should be expected to have the exact same outcome as their metropolitan. Um, patients but at the moment we're still trailing behind but we're getting closer and closer so that's what I that's what drives me all the time it's very inspiring I I know um for my family they're only in Warrigal which is only an hour and a half from Melbourne but that that drive was just you know so long and appointments would start at you know they'd book you in for an 8am appointment so you'd be up at 5 5 a.m. or earlier yeah and I can't imagine from Aubrey just trying to figure out you know um Brayden's appointments and then your family back home as well you're trying to keep up with your husband and your, your other two children it's 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 really amazing to see what you've done and I'm, I'm just wondering like was the the cancer centre, something that happened after Braden's death yes. or um, in Aubrey? Yep. So the community were working on it the whole time um, Braden was sick. I wasn't really a part of that initial drive because it was literally a drive that they took to Canberra to um, fight for our hospital. Um, um, Braden passed away in 2014 and um, the hospital got built in 2016. So it's something I've been involved with. Um, pretty much ever since he passed away. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very inspiring thing that you're doing, and I can um, yeah totally relate. Well, you've said this to us before, but you've you've got to have your advocate because Braden was too busy fighting his cancer that he couldn't have those other fights that you had for him. So 
what you're doing with the cancer center is you're being an advocate for for people in a similar situation and not everybody has their parent around or you know a close relative so i mean it's pretty incredible that you and um, everyone else you're working with are, are being those advocates for those patients yeah it was really tricky because Braden was 19 he was considered of course he was an adult mm. But as his as his mother, like I I just found it so hard that everything had to be his decision because he was the adult. So, you know, I was continuously reminded that this was not my cancer journey, it was his. But I know for a fact that if I wasn't there advocating for him along the way, his experience would have been completely different and it would have been very easy to push a 19-year-old aside and let, um, you know, a 65-year-old get chemo first because, you know, you know, poor, this poor man, he, he's been waiting, he wants to have his chemo. But, you know, I'd just say, well, you know, we've been waiting too. So um, it, it's definitely having your advocate in, in a huge cancer system is, is absolutely that much, that's so important because he found it hard to get his head around everything. Um, I was pretty over the top about it. I um, taped every appointment we ever had. Then I would go home and make notes and, and go, through, you know, I never left a stone unturned. But, again, it was always about no regrets. So I always made sure that I was completely over the top of everything. And I guess for, for Braden that was something that he knew. I, I you know, mum's got this. So um, he, he didn't have to have his head around everything. Um, but, you know, when there was a discussion, we could make it together or as a family, um, which is so important because it's pretty hard when you're a 19-year-old to make such huge decisions um, mm. from a life experience of not much. So advocacy is very important. What is Braden's legacy? Braden's legacy is to stay true to yourself and I guess to try not to sweat the, sweat the small stuff just to um, just keep on keeping on and give everything your um, absolute best shot because um, he just loved life. And so I guess for me it's also it's also I've probably embraced gratitude a lot more because he was just always so grateful for what he did have. And even though I always think we got severely ripped off in only having him for 22 years, um, the flip side is that we're grateful that we did have him for 22 years. And um, he taught us so much and um, I guess so much of him is what's in his brother and his sister and um, and they know that um, that he's always a part of their lives and that, and that he drives them and he continue continuously reminds them that um, you know take what take what life brings you and just um, get on with it so yeah I think that's such a fitting message as well not to sweat the small stuff I think a lot of people you know and it has been a shit year for a lot of people but um, Braden saw in hospital there's always something worse and um, I think it can put COVID and um, 2020 for some people into into reality yeah. and yeah. the actual impact it it can have on you. But imagine imagine having cancer in 2020, and that's you know my trust oh. fund that that we were on. You know we we held our breath for a very short time and said, oh, how how do we do this? And then we were like, you know what, 
cancer doesn't stop for COVID, so we're not no. stopping. So, um, you know, we just continued on with our fundraising and you have to think up new ways to invent the wheel. But um, imagine what they've gone through. Like imagine stepping into a hospital knowing, you know, what else could I get? Then learn then learn trying to deal with your next appointment. Like you just or you if can't. you were restricted with visits to Brayden. Um, yeah. That's what I thought about. I used to turn up at the hospital at any hour I want. I, I didn't even know visiting hours were a thing, but apparently they are. Um, and I've, sp- I've said it a lot to, to Kim, given her mum did pass away this year. Um, it absolutely kills me um, to think about that because, yeah. like you've said before, imagine making something really, really shit even worse by putting this pandemic as a layer over it. Like that, why, why is the world making something so cruel, even crueler? Yeah. How big was your funeral allowed to be, Kim? Like that's all I've thought about the whole time is funerals. Mm, um, It was 10 people, 10 people. So yeah, it was, it was a strange time. It was sort of very early on in COVID, but um, the restrictions came in. So mum was in palliative care when COVID hit. So they got pretty strict because it was sort of um, part of an aged care facility. So it was, um, yeah, they, they went into a pretty hardcore lockdown and that's fair enough because there's a lot of vulnerable people in there. Um, But we, so sort of on the last two weeks of mum's life, we had to, only two visitors in her room for, um, at one point it was for two hours only, but we had a lot of meetings with the palliative care centre a lot of tears, um, a lot of strong words were used and um, they let us in, um, you know, they, they allowed us to go in and out as we please, but we still had to stick by that two-person rule and even on the last night of her life, we had our whole family there and we we actually didn't know that it was sort of the, the final hours of her life, but, um, you know, her mum went in with her sister and then her brother had to go in with my brother and then my dad and me went in and then it was just this whole, it's just a whole other thing and a whole other stress because it's already high intensity anyway. Um, yeah, and then, the yeah, then came the funeral and it was just this weird virtual thing that we had to sort of just get through and sort of we just had to do it. I mean, you, the, what else could we do really? We didn't know how long COVID was going to happen go on for um and mum really did want this big beautiful funeral with good food and good drinks and a celebration and she didn't get to have that and it's a bit weird still because we haven't been able to do that for her so we we will do it um eventually we'll we'll have something but it's it's all been a bit hard to plan this year so it's it's a bit hard emotionally as well because I mean we we had quite a bit of closure um through her death and um the funeral but a lot of people still haven't grieved her as well so you know important part yeah and it was just one of these things where even friends you know um Brayden was really lucky that you could have hundreds of people visit your home we we unfortunately didn't get that opportunity so mum's best friend who just lived five minutes down the road wasn't even allowed in because she wasn't family and so even her who I saw last week um you know she said hi I still I she said something like I I need you to come over like I feel like you're 
your mum sort of thing. Like, I need you to experience this this thing with me. And it just, it was a bit of a weird comment because I was like, well, I'm not her. So, but um, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of her friends and extended family that still haven't had the opportunity to say goodbye. So it's yeah. it's very strange, very strange feeling. But yeah. we had fifteen hundred yeah. friends' funeral, and it was an amazing celebration of his life. Mm. Like, an absolute privilege of something, and we we really did a fantastic job of it. And and all through COVID, I have just tried to contemplate not having that and I haven't been able to get my head around it and I mm. take that off to you that you've had to deal with that and and get through it like you said with no choice but yeah, yeah. if I had that taken away from me I, I don't know what and I, I think done. you're spot on Michelle cancer doesn't stop for COVID so there would have been thousands yep. of people around the world um yeah dying from cancer and not being able to have the that send off and like you said Kim you've you you did have that closure and you will have the celebration for your mum but that's also not the easiest thing for you guys to go through again Mm. either and I think there'll be I've we well even through the podcast Kim and I've met a few people who have passed away and or friends of people we know through the, the aftershock and um, they'll be in a similar situation as well. And yeah, it's, it's cruel, but uh, you know, I always just think at the very least you've got that perspective of what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks mm. Michelle. That was Thank um, you, Michelle. really, really beautiful. Um, absolutely love speaking to you as always, oh, despite the there. shitty circumstances. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me talk about Bren because I love talking about him, obviously. So um, thank you so much for, um, for letting me, giving me the opportunity. I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you to Michelle for sharing an incredibly important point of view of a mother nurturing her son through cancer and how the very least she can do for Brayden was to try and fulfil the way he wanted to pass away. We absolutely loved seeing how Michelle beamed when she spoke about Brayden and how Brayden's drive lives on in his mum. Until next time, I'm Susie Nee. And I'm Kim Landy. And this has been the Aftershock Podcast.